Hey guys, welcome to Lords of Order episode 86. This is a DC Doctor Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and there are spoilers. Feedback can be emailed to the Doctor Fate fan podcast at gmail.com, left on the site at bigtimenoise.com slash Doctor Fate. Also, comments can be left on the Facebook and Google Plus pages for Lords of Order. And the Twitter handle is Teal Productions. So all of those are the ways to get in touch, should you choose to do so. Much like Too Dangerous on Twitter did a little while back, when he made reference to an article that he thought I may be interested in, that he himself wrote originally for the website Panels, but now on the website Book Riot Comics. And the article was entitled, Uncollected, Dr. Fate 26-41, through 41, DC Comics, 1991-92. through 92. And the reason he wrote this article was because that was one of his favorite runs of comics. Um, from what I gathered, because of the way that Inza was used in it primarily... So, uh, definitely, those of you interested in that, look that article up. I'd definitely want to thank him for alerting me to that article. And so I hope that uh, Too Dangerous continues to listen to the show and, and finds it entertaining. Now, our issue this episode is More Fun Comics, issue number 85, from November of 1942, this was written for us by Gardner Fox with pencils, inks, and letters by Mr. Howard Sherman. The story is entitled The Man Who Changed Faces and can be found reprinted in the Golden Age Dr. Fate archives uh, that came out in 2007 from DC Comics. Now to start out, our narrator tells us, This is the most thrilling, the most enthralling Dr. Fate story that you've ever read, for in it you are going to meet a new Dr. Fate. Yes, a great change has come upon the world's mightiest man of mystery. What change, you might ask? Well, we're not going to tell you. That would spoil your fun. See for yourself. Turn the page and plunge into the stirring and strange adventures of the man who changed faces. And the story starts with Dr. Fate out on patrol. A couple interesting things. This time, um, well, yeah. Uh, One is that he continues to run through the air. I still find that fascinating that that is the way they choose to depict him flying, as it were. But also, uh, he is not wearing a cape. I'm not sure why Mr. Sherman stopped the cape right now. Maybe it got to be too hard to draw too much trouble. I don't know. But the other interesting thing is that Dr. Fate has a ring that glows when he is near trouble to alert him to the fact that something is going on nearby. That is the first time I can recall having seen the ring uh, in 80-some episodes of talking about the character, so I'm not sure what that really is about either. But he locates some uh, just standard gangster ne'er-do-wells robbing a store of some sort. It doesn't tell us. A jewelry store. You can see the sign. Although the sack that the hood drops here and stuff spills out of looks like it's a sack of coins. So I don't know. Maybe the jewelry store had coins. But we see some usual 
Dr. Fate fisticuffs with some quips such as, it's past your bedtime, so here's a knockout drop as he's punching one dude. I see your minds in a whirl as he smacks another thug with his uh, Tommy gun and his hat pops off his head because of a resounding G-N-G-C-H. However in the world you would want to pronounce that. Gnunk. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure what that would be. Uh, Bullets bouncing off of him, but he grabs one thug and as he's holding him for the police to arrive, he notices a tattoo on his arm that marks him as part of the Sofrito brothers gang, and more importantly, one of the two Sofrito brothers. They have matching tattoos that are mirror images, so the two tattoos together produce one picture. But this person's face does not look like either of the Sofrito brothers. Uh, Nonetheless, the police take him in for having robbed the jewelry store, which fate did see specifically. So they they have him at least on that. Next, we see Kent. He's uh, at his penthouse in New York. He's disrobing and settling in to study. Um, Not mystical books, which we have seen him do as Dr. Fate. But as Kent Nelson, he is studying medical books. And at some point in the future, Inza walks in, and in their conversation, we find that he is studying to be a medical doctor, to take the tests necessary to be certified as a medical doctor. Um, He does pass these, apparently, because next up, we see that he is intern Kent Nelson, and intern is spelled I-N-T-E-R-N-E here at the Weatherby Free Clinic. So he marches in for his first day of clinicals. We see several panels of him helping people and the people being uh, very thankful, much more thankful than I have seen people be at the doctor's office. Uh, Even uh, personally, I have never gushed over uh, non-life-threatening, and I've never had life-threatening, so um, curatives from a doctor. But they they seem very... um, thankful uh, for what little help they can get at the Weatherby Free Clinic. Before he goes home on a particular evening, the director of the clinic tells him that he is destined for a more important department tomorrow, so he is getting a promotion of some sort. On the way home, Kent is daydreaming about the many people that have thanked him and the many positive things he has done for the people in his Kent Nelson guys, which is what I believe this is meant to be showing us, that it is Kent Nelson now helping people, not Dr. Fate, which is what we're used to. Uh, Later on that day, uh, another day perhaps, Kent receives a phone call of someone needing medical attention that apparently is nearby. It's not clear why they called Kent Um, I suppose it's not necessary for it to be clear. Uh, We don't need to know that. Shows an ambulance on the way, and Kent is attending to a gunshot victim who manages to get out before he falls into unconsciousness. Doctor, I was Doc Bensonhurst. So um, he dies, it turns out, because... 
Kent Nelson is giving b- being given a pep talk by a police officer. You know, you, you did everything you could do. It's not your fault. That, that type of pep talk. Kent goes home and starts perusing what we are shown as the directory of private nursing homes. Looking for Bensonhurst. Now, I'm not sure why Bensonhurst would be a nursing home. Uh, when I first read it, I assumed that he was trying to say he is Dr. Bensonhurst, that that was his name, uh, and it should mean something. But apparently that is not what Kent got from that fragment of conversation. So uh, we'll we'll go with Kent. It's his book, after all. He is probably right, um, not not I. Later on that evening, we are shown a uh, paper collar. Um, extra shout, the evening extras shout amazing news is what we're told, newsboy. And the byline, three more public enemies vanish, police baffled. So Kent continues to look and finds that Bensonhurst is an exclusive nursing home on the north shore of Long Island. So donning his fate togs, he heads off that way. And as he arrives and is watching things surreptitiously from the ceiling through a skylight, he sees a patient being wheeled down the hallway, and he has the counter matching tattoo for the Sofrito brothers. But that person also does not look like either of the Sofrito brothers. Finally, stealing into the um, mansion, the narrator tells us. So the Bensonhurst exclusive nursing home is in a large house, a mansion of sorts, not a, a building as you would expect, well, as I would expect a more medically oriented kind of thing to be. But he breaks in, runs into a doctor. The doctor tells him that he is not that, that he is responsible for things, but not exclusively. He is being forced to do these things. His name is Dr. Brennan. He's a plastic surgeon. But his brother is captive in Germany. And Bensonhurst is being run by a group of Nazi spies that is forcing, is blackmailing Dr. Brennan to do plastic surgery on them to change their looks. Dr. Fate says, you stay here, uh, stay out of the way, stay out of sight. I will I will fix this problem. But before he can rush out, he is found by one of the Nazi slash gangland thugs that we've been seeing in this issue. Fights Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate finally subdues him, goes out into the mansion to secure the rest of the area against the thugs mowing them down being shot out bouncing bullets still no cape by the way and on those panels that is it is applicable we see that he has this ring that i have not noticed before Um, One thug even douses him with ether and tries to set him on fire, which it does ignite, of course, ether, but it doesn't do him any damage and manages to jump over onto the thug that had attempted the attack, but um, he, he collapses. He's hurt. 
Dr. Fate slash Kent Nelson decides he can't leave the man by himself. He's injured. It is now his obligation because of his, um, what is it, Hippocratic Oath? Is that the right one? Uh, That he must help uh, this this injured person. Never seen him help an injured thug before, and and I'm sure he has done some damage um, in previous issues. But as he's helping this particular one, someone sneaks up behind him with an ether-laden cloth slaps it over his mouth and he inhales it uh we know that the only weakness that he has at this point is his lungs so he does indeed succumb to this unconscious making shall we say or i did say rather uh substance fate wakes up he is held captive wound around by the rubber tentacles of a fire hose the narrator tells us he's being interrogated Uh, Well, no, I'm sorry. He's not being interrogated. Uh, We see the mastermind who this is the point where he is going to give the entire plot away, as the bad guys are often wont to do. He is smoking on a cigar, but his face is heavily wrapped in bandage, exposing only his eyes and his mouth. Uh, Much like the mummy, uh, as we see, the, the classic mummy. So he tells Dr. Fate basically what Dr. Brennan told him, but... Here, Dr. Fate finds that this is the man responsible. He's the head spy. Um, He boasts and leaves. Dr. Fate, pondering what to do, tries to slither out of the rubber hoses, the fire hose that he is tied up in, but it only, um, after he gets done struggling, it only cinches in tighter because it's made of rubber. But Fate does see uh, that nearby the bottle of ether was dropped and knowing that ether is flammable, he puts it together with the cigar that the main spy dropped because he was smoking it and got done with it, and so he just threw it down on the floor as he left. Dr. Fate, of course, puts the two together. There's a large ignition. He is not damaged by the fire, but the rubber hoses over the lower extremities of his body are damaged, and it allows him to escape completely. Dr. Fate, sneaking around, comes upon the uh, quiet refuge of the gangsters who have undergone their sinister facelifts as they're recovering out on the veranda, getting in some night air with uh, smokes. No drinks, but with smokes. They're chilling. He finds them, wraps five of them up in another fire hose that he found, now being aware of how good they are to subdue people and tie people up with, uh, of course, he himself having recently been a victim, ties them up, leaves them, goes inside to call the police, but while inside, he is waylaid by more members of the gang, including the head spy. They have uh, some sort of gas weapon. It looks like they're getting ready to hurl those black circular explosive bombs with the lit fuse that you always see in those old-fashioned commercials, whatever, if those were real or not, I don't know, but whatever they were, only these are gas bombs like that. So they hurl them, they explode, they start filling the room with gas, but Dr. Fate um, throws an ammonia-loaded bomb, which is basically a big glass jar of ammonia at him, and it... 
I, I don't know, waylays the bad guys and causes them to cry because the ammonia affects their eyes, I guess. And he is able to get out. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly why that does anything. I don't know if that countered what smoke they released or what exactly happened. But next, the police are there. Fate turns over all of the bad guys that he has gathered up. Uh, they unbandage the main spy. Uh, Fate earlier found out that his name was Carl Gruber. But, of course, when they look at him, he does not look like Carl Gruber. However, he was marked by Dr. Brennan, who performed the plastic surgery, as being Carl Gruber because he left swastikas incised all over the man's face. And, of course, with the bandages, the man had not seen his face yet, so he didn't realize that. But that was the giveaway that he was the Nazi spy, right? Because he had swastikas. Get it? Swastika? Yeah. Okay. Our final scene is Kent talking to Jim. Jim is saying, hear the news, Kent? Dr. Fate cleaned up that spy ring. Sure wish I could do important work like he does. And, of course, Kent says, you forget, Jim, we've got an important job to do. A very important job. And so that is encouragement for all you Mondays out there that do not possess powers, that you, too, can do a an important work during World War, a work that is needed. Yeah, so that's, that's my motivational, spe- motivational speech, wow, for the day. Alrighty, guys, um, that's everything for me this episode. Next episode, I will be talking about Dr. Fate's appearances in some Young All-Stars issues, but I'm not 100% sure of the issues. I believe it's two or three. Um, I'll check that out and come back in episode 87 with my thoughts on those. Catch you guys later. Ciao. Lords of Order is a Teal production and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative, 3.0, unported license.